If you've never been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival, you don't know what you're missing. There's so much to see and do. It's like a 16th century theme park with shops and pubs, food and games, live jousting, crafts and music, 10 stages with nonstop entertainment. Fun for the whole family. Saturdays, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Near Annapolis, the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Time travel to fun. Coming up, he stood by the side of some of WWE's biggest villains over two decades ago, but he's been with the company ever since. We catch up with the one and only Harvey Whippleman. ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and we're going to try something a little fun, a little different this week. Uh, I've tried to make it no secret of the amount of admiration and respect I have for the entire team behind the scenes at WWE, not just those that we all know and love in front of the camera. My guest today is one of those people. However, he is no stranger to the spotlight, the bright lights of WWE. He has quite an interesting career in his own right. You may remember him from WWE as Harvey Whippleman. We know him as Bruno. Bruno, welcome to After the Bell. Hey, it's my honor and privilege to be here. I'm sitting here in my backyard in beautiful downtown Walls, Mississippi. Beautiful day. Sun is shining. Birds are flying around. And I'm talking to a dear friend of mine. What could be better right now? I couldn't agree with you anymore. This is absolutely fantastic. I know I told you about two or three months ago that I'd get you on the show and we finally found the time. So let's make the most of it, buddy. That's all we've got right now is time. ain't it? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I want to want to start at the beginning for those that uh, maybe lapsed fans or, or that aren't as familiar with who Harvey Whippleman was. How did you get to be in the business? Well, you know, I started off putting up the ring when I was 14 years old. I went on a tour uh, with a guy named Dale Mann who run MCW, which was based out of Jamestown, Kentucky. And I put up the ring and took it down for him. And they were making a tour. They went to South Dakota, Iowa, all the way up to Minnesota somewhere. And I just kept on with them. Never even went back home. There was no cell phones or nothing back then. Mom and daddy didn't have no idea where I was. I had to call them a few days later and say, you know, I'm in the wrestling business now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like running away to join the circus. Yeah, no doubt. And that was 1979. And hell, I went back yet. I guess I'm still, I'm still rolling 41 years later, making a living. Uh, but, you know, I owe my whole career and life to certain people. One of them is Jerry the King Lawler, undoubtedly. He gave me my break in the business and my break in life. I mean, he made me a manager. A lot of people think me and Lawler met here in Memphis because, you know, where I'm at, Mississippi is Memphis area. Sure. No, we met in Hawaii. Because my dear friend, God rest his soul, Rocky Johnson, booked me there in 83 for Polynesian Pacific Wrestling. And that's where I met Lawler. And he had me manage him that day. Uh, and I said, man, I grew up watching you on TV. Man, I want to come to Memphis Wrestling so bad. Well, we got Jimmy Hart now. He's, you know, he's getting a big push. We can't, we don't have room for another manager. We've already, we've already got Tojo, too. We, we can't have three managers. Well, when Hart went to, when left, I don't remember if Hart left directly for WWE or if he went to Georgia first, but either way, when Hart left, man, I called Lawler 50 times a day and he finally <laughs> gave me my starting date in Memphis and the rest was history. So I, to this day, my yard is paid for, my house is paid for, it ain't a mansion, but it's mine. I owe all that to Lawler because if he had to give me my break, I don't know what I'd be doing in prison or dead. I don't know. 
<laughs> it sounds like a common occurrence in this business. I think a lot of people would share those sentiments for sure. Right. I remember when I, when I was young, when I was a kid, I would read the, the magazines. This was pre-internet. You couldn't hop online and find out all the secrets of the business. So I would read, you know, the, the after mags and Pro Wrestling Illustrated and whatnot. And I used to read about Downtown Bruno. So I I would see these names and read articles, but I had no idea as to as to how the business actually worked and how big it was in the territories. And, and fast forward a few years, I was still relatively young. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Harvey Whippleman arrived on my television screen. Tell me about now. You got your you cut your teeth in Memphis. You got your breaks. Um, how did you arrive in in the land of Titan at the time? Well, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, I got my break in Memphis. True enough, but. I worked so many different territories. Now, a lot of people, it's funny. I say that, it just rolls off my tongue. A lot of people young in the business, or fans even, don't understand what a territory yeah, is. You know, Bruno, hey, hey, let's, let's delve into that a little bit, because I, I've got a lot of guys that, that may be familiar with it, but I don't know if we've really ever discussed how, how the business has changed, how it used to be pre-WWE kind of owning the landscape. Right. Well, what it was, it used to be territories all over the country. There was uh, two different territories in Tennessee, the Memphis Territory, which was Memphis, Nashville, Louisville, Evansville, you know, that, that, where the TV was, Tupelo, whatnot. Then there was the Knoxville Territory, which is that end of the state. There was a Louisiana Territory. There was Tampa and Pensacola, two Florida territories, Birmingham Territory. I could go on for 10 minutes. Every part of the country had their own regional television. And that's all you've seen. I mean, like you said, pre-WWE. If you lived in a certain area, all you've seen was – that that particular wrestling, sports entertainment, however you want to call it, show at the time. I worked Memphis mainly. That was my home. But I also worked Louisiana, Knoxville, Pensacola, Birmingham, Nova Scotia, uh, Hawaii. I worked uh, Kansas City. So anyway, I, you know, I learned the business, met people along the way, learned different styles. Bob Geigel actually gave me my first full-time job in the business, which was Kansas City in 82, I think it was maybe. Long story short, after 10 years of being on the road in all the different territories, one day I was sitting in Tell City, Indiana. I was in charge of the rings. I brought the ring up there for USWA show uh, for Eddie Marlin, who was a promoter. And the rule was, or not the rule, but the way we did it was, I would get there early with my ring crew, set up the ring, and I would sit in the box office and sell pre-sale tickets until Eddie arrived, and he would take over the box office. So I was sitting in the box office, answering the phone, you know, People would call, hey, is Jerry Lawler on the match on the card tonight? Or is Bill Dundee on the card tonight? Or what time does it start? How much are tickets? You know, whatever. So I get one call. Yes, and I speak to Bruno Lauer, which is my real name. I says, yes. He goes, this is Howard Finkel from the WWE. We're interested in having a talk with you. Uh, a friend of yours named Sid Udi recommended you for a tryout. And I thought it was Tom Pritchard, Dirty White Boy, or somebody pulling my chain. So I hung up. And... <laughs> Sitting in the box, I was that little room there, and, and the phone rang again. There was no caller ID, bear in mind that back right, then. Right, right. Yes, Bruno Lauer, please. I said, yeah. He said, this is Howard Finkel from the, the WWE. You know, we want to know if you're interested in uh, coming up. I'm very familiar with your work, downtown Bruno. You know, and you know Howard has an encyclopedic right. knowledge of the business. Absolutely. Know? And he got the talk, and then he says, look, if, if you don't believe me, if you think this is a trick, here's the phone number. And he gave me the number. He says, you can call me back. I said, I will. It seems so surreal. Yeah. Yeah. So that the damn phone in that little box, I was wouldn't dial out. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I went to Chili Willie and I got it. was working for me on the ring crew. I said, look, you sit here in the box office and people come to get tickets, just make their change, whatever. So I went to a pay phone, 
down the street. Remember payphone? Sure, right, right. <laughs> and I got a bunch of quarters and I put it in the thing or dimes, whatever it was back then. And it went right to Howard's desk or whatever. And it was him. So long story short, we made arrangements. I flew to Boston. I'd never been that far up north before in my life in the United States. I've been to Nova Scotia, but I flew into there. So I flew into Boston and went to Worcester, had my tryout, and uh, the rest is history. Vince uh, and everybody seemed to like what I did because I'm still, thank God, part of the WWE family 30-whatever years later. That's awesome. Awesome. I, I want to talk a little bit more in depth about Howard uh, in a few minutes. I know he meant a lot to you sure. in, in your career, but uh, how would you describe who downtown Bruno was for those that weren't familiar? Well, downtown Bruno was me, of course, but that's, uh, I tell you where I got, I made up the name because Bruno's my real name. Sure. Uh, there, there used to be a TV show called Simon and Simon and Tim Reed, who used to play Venus Flytrap on WKRP in Cincinnati. I don't know if you ever watched that show. but I, I watched it. It was on Nick at Night when I was young. I used to watch it. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he played like a street guy or whatever uh-huh. on Simon Simon, and his name was Downtown Brown. I thought, man, that is cool. <laughs> so when I first managed, they says, well, what's your manager name? What's your name? Gimmick name, whatever. I said, Downtown Bruno. And it stuck ever since. I loved it. And I made a living saying, it's like Mama says, it bees that way sometimes. That was my payoff. Every interview I ever made. And when they turned me babyface in Memphis, oh my God, it brought chills to my spine, to my heart. Because the first time I said it, I went, it's like mama says, the entire Coliseum said it. And I'll tell my dear friend, The Rock, and he'll probably agree with it. I had the first catchphrase in the business. <laughs> <laughs> he'll tell you. That's he'll awesome. Tell you. That's really cool. Who are some of the guys that, that, that you managed before you arrived in WWE, uh, aside from Sid? Uh, before WWE, I got him Tony Falk, who did a Boy Tony gimmick, which is back when Boy George was the hot thing. Okay. So he was Boy Tony. You could Google it. He wore the makeup and the lipstick and didn't dance around like Boy George from Culture Club. I managed uh, a great guy. A lot of people outside of the Memphis area won't remember him, probably, but a guy named Phil Hickerson, big, raw-boned, tough guy from Jackson, Tennessee. Great talent in the ring, rough guy in real life and in the ring. Good talker, great guy, managed a tag team called the Batten Twins, who were great guys. We just lost one of them a year or so ago, unfortunately. I believe it was a heart attack, if I'm not mistaken. But great guys, identical twins. I managed them in Kansas City. And honestly, they were good friends of mine. I really couldn't tell them apart. I really couldn't. They were so (laughs) identical. I managed the Harris Twins when they were in Memphis. Good guys. Oh, my gosh, so many. Uh, And guys that I worked on the opposite side of the ring, like Rocky Johnson and me, were very, very close. Uh, me and me and the rock very close, you know, uh, back when I knew him as Dewey, the young sure. kid, used to hang out with me, you know, and, uh, Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Lombardi, one of my closest friends. Of course that was post WWE or whatever, but, but still we're, we stay in touch, very close friends. Um, oh my gosh. So many Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, uh, Dutch Mantel, people would know him as, uh, Zeb Coulter. Yeah, it's for, for everybody listening, if if any of the names that Bruno just rattled off, if you're not familiar, do yourself a favor and just throw it in Google. Uh, countless hours of entertainment await you. These are some some great names that unfortunately get lost in the shuffle in the history of the business, but definitely some really high quality, uh, super talented guys that, that you know help carve the path for everybody that that are still doing it to this day. Well, that's really wonderful for you to say. That's true. A lot of guys never made it to the big 
show, so to speak. But back in the days when the territories were hot, you could make a good living and, and be home every night. Uh, so you keep mentioning Sid, uh, who to the WWE fans is probably best remembered as Psycho Sid or perhaps Sid Vicious. Uh, how did the union of, of downtown Bruno and Sid come to be? In 1986, I was in Kansas City working for Bob Geigel in the NWA back when there really was an NWA. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, was, he was the president of NWA. I was working there, managing the Batten Twins, managing the Cuban Assassin, and a uh, guy named Earthquake Ferris. Well, Robert Fuller got in touch with me and said, we have an idea for a gimmick. We want to do the Lord Humongous gimmick, you know, with, with, with the hockey with the mask. hockey mask, right, the Mad Max. He says, Bruno, would be, you'd be the perfect mouthpiece for him. This guy don't, don't speak. He goes, problem is we'd have got him Jeff Van Kant doing the gimmick, but he – I don't know what happened. He left the territory or left the business, whatever. He wasn't available. And Robert said, do you know a guy that's big and stout and, you know, tall, whatever, that muscular that would fit that outfit, you know, the gimmick? I said, yeah, but I'm not sure I know how to reach him. I'll try. So I started making calls around West Memphis. And bear in mind, again, no cell phones back then. This is, you know, 30-whatever years ago. So I finally found out Sid was doing construction for a guy named Bobby Jones, who I knew, Bobby Jones. So I called Bobby Jones and had have Sid call me at, the American Inn in Kansas City. There's my room number, whatever. I didn't, me and Sid weren't like even tight back then. We knew each other. But anyway, he called me and I told him, hey, how'd you like to go to Alabama and start for a Continental as Lord Humongous? Oh, man, I'd love to. I called Robert back. He gave us a start date. I gave Bob Geiger my notice, which Bob knew I wouldn't make any money. And he was happy to see me go and, and do better. So me and Sid met in Memphis. We followed each other to Birmingham where we found a little cheap place to stay and went to uh Continental, and we got over. He worked to deal with Danny Davis, worked to deal, not the Danny Davis that was in WWE, the other. Sure, sure. Yeah, and then uh, worked to deal with Wendell Cooley, worked to deal with Doug Furness, who's also no longer with us, and uh, stayed there for a while. Then a good friend of mine, Eddie Gilbert, came in, took over the booking duties from Robert Fuller. Well, Eddie brought in a manager to be his manager. Now, don't forget, Eddie was the booker, so he was in charge. I was the former Booker's manager. Guess who the manager was? Paul E. Dangerously, let alone our friend Paul Heyman. So I'd seen the writing on the wall. You know, I mean, I like Eddie and I love Paul. We're very close. But at that time, me and Paul were at each other's throat. We were two young managers of the exact same age and whatever, trying to get a good spot in whatever organization we worked with. So I knew my time was limited. So I gave my notice and went back to Memphis. Sid stayed there. Then when Eddie went to WCW, he took Sid with him and took the mask off and he was Sid. So that's, that was the rest was history for Sid. And they were looking for a manager in WWE. Sid mentioned me. They gave me a tryout. I went to Wooster, had my tryout, and uh, been there ever since. And let me ask you this. Uh, I've heard a lot of stories that, that uh, have been passed down about managers at that time doing a lot more than just being an, an on-screen mouthpiece. Uh, the, the one that always comes to mind is Paul Ellering that he, he used to handle the Road Warriors bookings and, and handle their business as a true manager. Did you did you have a lot more responsibility beyond what you did during Showtime? Actually, no. I never was in that position. No, I basically just did the interviews. Now, a lot of times, just because I'm, I'm a very organized person, I'd be good at you know booking the hotel rooms because a lot of guys would show up at a hotel. Oh, it's sold out. Let's go to the next one. It's sold out. Oh, I was good about always having hotel rooms booked weeks ahead of time. I still do that to this day for myself, you know, but as far as actual official responsibilities or whatever, no. Oh, okay. So you just got to do the fun part. <laughs> yeah, that was fun back then, yeah.
Tell me uh, what it was like living on the road. WWE is wildly popular at the time. Uh, and, you're, and you're with these truly larger than life characters. You've got Sid. You managed the Warlord. You spent time with Kamala, Giant Gonzalez, um, who, who will always be remembered for a litany of reasons in WWE. Right. Uh, just tell, give me, give me a, paint me a picture of what life was like in those days. Well, we were on the road. Some, I remember one time I was on the road for almost 30 days at one WAP. You know, because we'd go to TV. Back then, we did TV every three weeks. We'd do it three days in a row. Wasn't like it is now. Back then, we'd do like 30 matches. There'd only be like four competitive matches. The rest were enhancement counts. Yeah, right. The main guys, yeah. So we were there for hours and hours and hours. Then we'd go up to the house shows. and We might go overseas. We might have a Saturday night's main event or something. I mean, it was constant. I mean, it was it was – it wasn't easy, I'll tell you that. We'd go into restaurants or, or hotels, whatever. Of course, yeah, like you said, Sid, Warlord, these guys, even if you didn't follow the product at the time, you knew they were somebody. Right. You know, so people would gather around them and everything. But I'm going to tell you this, and this ain't an ego thing. It was just an adjustment thing. In Memphis and everywhere else I worked before I went to WWE, I was the mainstay because they would circulate the talent around me. Right. So everywhere I went in Memphis, even to this day, to an extent, older people, oh, you're downtown Bruno, we remember you. But it was an adjustment for me not being the one getting the attention. Because I was a big fish in a small pond for many years. Right. Then I came and I became a minnow in the daggum Pacific Ocean. So <laughs> that, that was an adjustment. Again, not an ego thing by any means. Just it was different for me. You know, I wasn't I was oh, used to being sure. the featured guy, you know. But Absolutely. I didn't mind I was getting paid. One thing about me, I never had an ego. I just want to get paid. Hey, so it's all about at the end of the day, it's the wrestling business, not the wrestling hobby, right? <laughs> right. That, you know, that's what gets me about some of these people that, you know, just do it on weekends or wherever with no aspirations of doing it for a living. They say, you know, hey, Bruno, do you still fool around with that wrestling? Boy, it kills me. I said, I never fooled around with it. Right. That's life. But this is my living. This is my job. I don't fool with it. This is because they don't get it because they see the guy that works at the auto parts store wrestling on weekends and tennis shoes and blue jeans disrespects our business so much right on and they don't take that as a knock on cena that's his gimmick it ain't because he can't <laughs> afford tights. believe me that's his forte but these guys are too lazy to buy tights they just want to get in there and jump around like monkeys and think they're a wrestler I, my buddy down the street here has a mechanic shop if i go in there and sit around in his mechanic shop that don't make me a mechanic <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> Completely agree. Absolutely <laughs> agree. So, so give me some, give me some memories of yours that that stand out as far as highlights of your of your managerial career uh, on on WWE. Okay, well, how about this Giant Silva? I didn't manage him. Right. For for those that might not not remember, uh, Giant Silva was around for a little more than a cup of coffee. Uh, most infamously, as a member of the Human Oddities, he was what right. Bruno about se- legit seven feet, a little bit bigger. Yeah, seven. Three or something. I'm not sure exactly, but yeah. yeah. So once again, Howard Finkel, you know, our good friend, he says, uh, Bruno, you know, this giant can't drive. Would you mind if he rode with you and Brooklyn Brawler? Because we always travel together. I said, we don't mind. You know, we'll let him ride with us. So uh, I'll never forget, we went into a restaurant and Silva, I got to be honest, he wasn't the sharpest tack in the, in the, in the you know, drawer or whatever. He said, Bruno, when we go in a restaurant, don't tell, tell people I'm a giant. I don't want them to bother me. He's seven <laughs> foot three or whatever. He's going to walk in with me in Lombardi. And he says, don't tell people I'm a giant. How do you <laughs> respond to that? So, <laughs> That's so, amazing. Then he says one night, I want to drive. I want to drive. You don't drive. I drive. I drive. So me and Brawler says, okay, if you want to drive, drive. We look up. He's going like 95 miles an hour. So, oh, my God. Here come the blue lights behind. I said, oh, here we go. The cop stopped. They come up. He goes. 
I don't get out. I don't get out. The cop goes, no, you have to get out. So Lombardi rolls the window down and says, officer, just let you know, don't be scared. He's a giant. And Silver goes, why are you telling him I'm giant? Oh, God. <laughs> so, and he's so dumb, he, he sounded like he was drunk. He wasn't drunk. He, he don't even drink. Or if he does, he wasn't drinking that night. <laughs> so the cop has got him on his knees doing the, the light, the flashlight in his eyes and all that. <laughs> Oh, that's tremendous. So, can you imagine the people driving down the highway seeing a giant on his knee? <laughs> oh, that's wild. Or how about the time Sid was driving and he was drinking a Gatorade or something? He goes, Bruno, roll down your window. I'm going to throw it out and, and uh, hit that side. I said, okay. Well, I hadn't rolled it down yet. He thought I did. He slung the Gatorade bottle, smashed the window. It was the middle of winter in Wisconsin or something. There was glass everywhere. I'm bleeding on my face. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing are there any particular angles on screen that, that you look back on and have fond memories of well you know it was uh pretty much the greatest uh thing was when i got to manage sid against hogan main event of wrestlemania that was that was wrestlemania eight i mean from a guy that started off setting up the ring and going to the dakotas and whatnot for dale man standing in the main event in the ring for the main event for the biggest attraction there is WrestleMania. Sure, sure. And that's, that's, uh, you know, it kind of validates your existence, you know? And, uh, like I said, I know I wasn't the main event. I was there. If I didn't show up that day, the show would have went on. I ain't stupid, you know, but just the fact that I was there and part of that, that was huge. You know, that was a really big deal to me, you know, and I know this was goofy, but when I got to dress up like the woman and win the championship for one day, that was a uh, Har- Harvina, correct? <laughs> In your hometown of Pittsburgh, actually. Was that in Pittsburgh? Yeah, sure was. But I mean, I know it was a goofy thing or whatever. But the fact I can tell people to this day, without lying, I was a champion in the WWE. And, you know, a lot of people can't say that. Right. And I'm sitting here looking at my acre and a half and my house. And it all started from, it's the house that Lawler built. It's the house that WWE keeps for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all, everything I got came from the business. I owe all my loyalty to, to Lawler to Sid, to WWE, everything I got in the world, in this world comes from the business in general and WWE in particular. And like I said, you know, Lawler opened the door for me. Sid pushed me through the door and WWE shut the door behind me. Let me stay. So I owe the world to that. And I just, it's not lost on me. If you you respect the business enough, the business will respect you right back. Uh, that's that's awesome to to hear your your outlook on all that sort of stuff. Uh, so we've mentioned him several times, uh, Howard Finkel, who unfortunately we just lost uh, very recently, who's a very very important member of the WWE family and someone that you got to work with quite frequently on on screen and off. Uh, tell me some of your favorite memories about the Fink. Well, one thing about Howard, I never heard him or seen him in a bad mood ever. And I've known him for 30 whatever years. He's always happy, always jovial. I mean, you could be in a miserable mood and he comes in a room. It's, it's hard to stay miserable. He's just, he was always friendly. And like I said earlier, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of the business. I mean, when, when I first met him, he knew, oh, downtown Bruno. I remember you managed me and Mike Miller for the, you know, uh, Southern Championship in Memphis. I believe uh, he won the championship in 1984 or whatever. And I'm like, I don't even remember that. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> he remembers I'm stuff really you've forgotten. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, he was uh, just, he was an encyclopedia Britannica of our business. He knew everybody and everything. And you used to have this gimmick name. And oh, that guy was in Kansas City. He was, I think WWE knew it too. Because anytime they needed information about somebody or something, he was the go to guy. And right. I, if anybody ever says that they got mad at Howard, they're a liar. Because he never, he could not, how could he make you mad? He was just friendly and happy. And he was just a, one of the 
my dearest friends. We always stayed in touch even after he wasn't on the road anymore. Personally, I'm a very good Catholic and a, you know, God-believing Christian man. So in my heart, it's almost a blessing that Howard's not suffering now on this earth. He's now getting his reward. And I guarantee, I don't know what his religion was or not. If he had it beside the point, I, I know he's in a better place, you know. Right on. And Fink will be missed forever, man. There will never be another like him. There is no doubt about that. So I, I, I want to jump fast forward a little bit. Harvey Whippleman, not necessarily a part of the on-screen end of WWE anymore uh, or for quite some time, yet Bruno's been a constant in the backstage area. I mean, as, as soon as I started coming to television, I remember, you know, getting to know you. And, and can you explain to everybody your role nowadays in WWE? You know what? If I want to stand here and maybe I'll go in and put a tie on and a suit, I'll say, I'm the concierge of the WWE. <laughs> but really, I'm the washed up guy that runs errands for everybody. And I jump through hoops for millionaires. And I don't care. I love it. <laughs> you know what? I love what I do now more than I ever loved managing, wrestling, refereeing. I love what I do now. I enjoy it. We could be in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the middle of the winter. And they say, well, we need a surfboard. We got a guy coming in. We're going to call him the surfer. We need a surfboard. Nobody can find a surfboard. I'll be back. Give me 20 minutes and I'll be back with a surfboard, you know? And, <laughs> He's like a fixer. It, yeah, that's what I do. I mean, and I tried it. And a lot of small things too. This top guy, uh, his suitcase got, you know, delayed by the airlines. Would you go to the airport and get it? Sure. This guy uh, forgot something in his hotel room. Go get it. Because, you know, everybody trusts me. They know I'm not going to go in a room and steal something, you know, or go through their bag. He left his championship there or he left his boots there, whatever. I go get it, bring it back. I get food for, for people. And, uh, and I enjoy it. And you know what I love? The perk of my job. If I go to get food for somebody, I'll sit there at the bar, eat a nice meal while I'm waiting on their food. You know, and I enjoy it. I get away from the arena for a while. I get to relax, read the newspaper. Here's the food. What's next? And just, you know, whatever. Like, I'm happy to do whatever I can for anybody. And there's two groups of people I help. People I want to and people I have to. But most of the time, I want to. What would you say are some of the, the most glaring differences, uh, not only in WWE, but in the business as a whole, from when you kind of broke in and found your footing versus today? Well, I would say the difference is, when I say the difference, I'm not saying this is good or bad. Sure, or, or just an observation. Yep. Yeah, observation. See, in our day, like we discussed earlier, it was territories. So everybody that came to WWE had already, I mean, 95% of the guys that came in had already been in the business umpteen years. So- we didn't have to be trained. You know, I worked Memphis, Kansas City, Louisiana, blah, blah, blah. Junkyard dog worked Louisiana, Memphis, Texas. You know, I can, you know, whoever worked many other places. So we were already established in the business and knew the business. Now, thankfully for this NXT, which is great, you know, Florida. Right. We're, we're drawing, drawing from a, a much larger talent pool now, whereas people are coming from different backgrounds and walks of life as opposed to wrestler. You got a lot of athletes from all over the globe. Another thing, I guess, because they don't have that on-the-job experience like we did, on-the-job training like we did. I mean, I, I can come in here and talk more crap than an $8 radio and a thunderstorm. You know, I can just make an interview right now. I can cut you down right now and build you up. You know, I know how to do that. In your opinion, or what has worked for you in the past, what is the art of the promo for a, for a great manager? You mentioned tearing someone down and building them up. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, the one thing is get the people's attention. All right, build it up. Like, uh, you know, Corey Graves, just because you got a head shaped like a hubcap. Don't mean you're a big wheel around here. Let me tell you something, brother. I get you in the ring. I promise you, I'm going to hit you with so many rights. You'll be begging for a left, man. I hit you with so many combinations, man. You're going to think you're a safe because I am the man. 
that walked that barbed wire fence barefooted. Been bad, been good. Dallas, Vegas, or Hollywood. Got a 38 pistol on a 45 frame. Ain't a lot of weight on my shoulder. I got one hell of a brain. 168 pounds of walking, talking, roping, stomping, downtown destruction. Brother, when I get through with you, it's going to be a family weeping, a mama crying, a graveyard digging, and a coffin buying. You know why, Corey Graves? Because it's like mama says. It bees that way sometimes. That was tremendous. Just turn it on like that. You still got it, Bruno. That's fantastic. I wish my voice <laughs> still had it. <laughs> We've been talking for 30 plus years. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go. I'm waiting for that to happen to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you have? I've had John Cena on and Edge and Jeff Hardy recently, and everyone's offered advice for for talent from a more or less a wrestling perspective what would you what advice would you offer anybody that wants to join this incredible business of ours or or make a living or at least get their foot in the door uh whether it be as a manager or a wrestler or god knows what well i'll tell you this i've said this to many people and i mean this from the bottom of my heart first of all you know you and people you know this but people should know you don't start off in wwe or even NXT, unless you really stand out and they see something in you, or maybe you're a former, you know, UFC person or NFL guy or whatever. Right, right. But the average person, you got to get, you know, these, we didn't have them back in my day, but now they call me indies, independents. Okay. You go there. Now, when you go to a wrestling school or training academy, where they call it, did the person that's training you ever make their living in this business? If they didn't, go the other way. How in the world? Can somebody train you to be in the business if they were never in the business? You know, you go to, I'm not, I'm not even sure who has an academy now because I, you know, I don't know. I don't keep up with that. But it used to be Bill Dundee had one here in the Memphis area. He's made his living for many, many years. I would recommend him. He knows the business. Danny Davis used to have one. I don't think he has it anymore, but I would recommend him. Again, for the same reason. If you're, if you're talking Tennessee, I have to plug them off the top of my head. You got Kane and Dr. Tom Pritchard, the Glick, yes. Jacobs. That was Pritchard my next wrestling. one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. Up in Knoxville. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Those guys are masters of their craft. You know, like I said, I'm so behind the times. Used to be, you know, Akbar down in Texas. I don't even think he's with us anymore. But you know what I mean? Just, uh, I don't know, but you got to find somebody. I think the, didn't the Dudley boys have yeah, the Dudleys, the Dudleys, I believe they have one in Florida and I believe one in Connecticut still. They, they used to. If there you not, go. They're worth looking up though, but Bubba and Devon both, correct? Yeah. And then Lance Evers, as we know, uh, as Lance, yeah, Lance Storm. Storm in Canada. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, if a guy made their living in the business, then he can train. If he did, that's my biggest advice. Don't listen to somebody that don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. If you come over to my house right now, I can change your all. I, you know, I, I can do things like that for my own truck or whatever, but that don't make mean I can teach you how to be an auto mechanic. You know, like I said a while exactly. ago. Exactly. So, you know, I, I changed my own oil. I sharpened the blades on my lawnmower, but I better not do yours because I don't know how to do it <laughs> properly for you. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. What keeps you going? Dead. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, truthfully, I'm going to tell you, honest to God, I thank God every day that WWE has been so loyal to me. Because I've been, I don't know what else I would do. I really don't. Anytime over the years and people threw little feelers at me to maybe go somewhere else, I never would go. This company has been so loyal to me. All I want to do is reciprocate. That keeps me going. I love the business. I don't know what else I would do without it. This month and a half, I've been sitting home. The first two weeks, I went crazy. I mean, being under house arrest, um, my house was so clean. Honestly, you could have made soup in my toilet. You know, it was just, it was just, <laughs> 
about the beginning of April, it started getting sunny here in North Mississippi. So I started cutting grass. I've been cutting for the neighbors, elderly people that can't get out now. Some of the lower income people that now they can't afford to pay the lawn, you the know, lawn fees. Sure. Yeah, so quick. I've been cutting grass a lot. I mean, I, when we get through here, I have to go cut down at the mechanic shop. Just, I've been staying busy cutting grass, but that you couldn't make a living doing that $9 an hour. I'd be in, oh my God, I'd be selling blood. But I don't know anything. The business is all I know. Without the business, I'm nothing. You know, I just, I realize now I don't want to retire because I'd, I'd go crazy. You know, I'm 55 years old this year. Give me 10 more years and I'll be happy. We'll keep you busy. It's funny. I always say a lot of guys broke in the business, running errands and going and getting food for people or whatever, and worked their way up to the main event manager. I went the opposite route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from WrestleMania to catering. <laughs> yeah, to catering. I mean, uh, I, I'm at the lowest end of the totem pole. I'm so low, I have to look up to see down. Hey, <laughs> somebody, somebody's got to be the anchor, man. We all appreciate it. I'm sure you you hear it, but you don't hear it enough. Uh, not only yourself, but everyone that that contributes. That's the one thing that's always fascinated me. And I truly believe that across the board, our team doesn't get enough of their due. Uh, just for the amazing team. Speak to that a little bit about the behind the scenes world of WWE that no one really gets to see, but it's like a well-oiled machine. Oh, it really is. There's so many good, hardworking people back there and good guys. Like my dear friend, Brooklyn Brawler, you know, he used, you know, when he was, he left the company for, you know, personal reasons, sure, whatever, sure. I, you know, but uh, he used to be in the uh, interview room. He did a great job getting people in to do their promos or whatnot. So many guys behind the scenes, you'd be surprised that they don't, fans might not even realize they're still back there or have been at, at, at certain points. You know, a lot of, you know, guys. And like you, uh, of course, you're on air, true, true enough, but you do a lot behind the scenes too. And, and I'm not saying this because, you know, I owe you money or anything. It's true. I consider you a good friend of mine. I, I've always, we've always ended off really great. You're a great guy. There's a lot of great guys back there. You know, Prof and Brian Nolet and Jonathan Blandon, lighting guys, technical guys, engineers. From A to Z, there's just so many good people. I say to a lot of my friends all the time when they ask, you know, who, who are some of your best friends expecting me to say, oh, this superstar and that superstar. And I go, honestly, that's that's the crew that I hang out with. The, the lighting guys, the backstage, the TV locker room crew. That's the, the, those are the most down to earth. Those guys, everyone keeps keep me grounded and keep me sane and vice versa. I mean, it's, it's truly like a family back there. Yeah, it really is. There's a lot of great people back there. And uh, that's what helped make me a multi-thousandaire. So I'm <laughs> 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 oh man well and obviously you've been around this a long time and all of us even though we make our living from this business at the end of the day we're still fans who are who are some people that you enjoy watching most nowadays oh i think dolph ziggler is tremendous i think he is just one of the best there is i love watching dolph in the ring he's great and you know and i know this is the standard answer but this is true i think john cena is incredible and just because he doesn't do the 360 hurricanrana and all these moves i can't even pronounce it don't matter. Less is more. He gets over. There's a, there's a, a butt every six inches when John Cena's on the card. That's what matters. I love watching Cena. I think uh, Drew McIntyre is fantastic. I'm glad to see him getting his due. You know, a lot of times people forget that the good old days weren't always good and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems, like Billy Joe says, but it's true. These all the old days, things were better. Old, look at some of the guys from my day. Some of those guys are, couldn't even get it in the back door now. Some guys were awful. And their wool tights and black boots coming to the ring with it. You know, some guys were good. Some guys weren't, you know. Some guys couldn't get over right now if they walked in and handed out $50 bills to the audience. And But they got over back then. Things have changed, you know. But yeah, to me, Dolph's like way up on top of my list. I think he's great. Uh, Lord, there's so many. Titus O'Neil looks like a million dollars. I and mean, he's just 
it looks that's a thing too. He he could tear your head off, true enough, but it looks like he could. Right. Or some guys could tear your head off, they don't look like it, you know, but he's got the look and the appearance, whatever, and, and the and the ability and the size. I think he's great. And and what a hell of a human being. I know we we oh, great guy. We rib him all the time, but man, it, as far as just good guys go, it doesn't get much better than Titus. What what a what a guy. I mean, I couldn't agree more, really. I mean, I'm just drawing a blank. There's just so many guys. One of my best friends in the business, too, is Randy Orton. I mean, he's he's got it all. I mean, he's got talent. He's got the look. He's got the intelligence. I mean, he's got it all. Randy Orton is, is just, he's tremendous. As long as you've known Randy, and you mentioned The Rock earlier, you've known The Rock since a kid, was it blatantly obvious to you that these guys were going to be megastars in the business, or was it just kind of, they sort of evolved? Well, you know what? Honestly, it evolved. Neither one of them, and I don't think either one of them would take this as an insult, when they first came along, yeah, they had talent. But when they first came along, I didn't see, like, oh, my God. The only guy i ever seen with the oh, my God thing, honestly, is John Cena. In, you know, our day and age, you know. I mean, Cena had it from day one. I knew it. But, yeah, Rock evolved. Uh, Randy Orton evolved. I mean, yeah, you could have got a like, big show or something. Yeah, he's a giant. Of course, you see it. But an average size guy or whatever for our business. I mean, yeah, Rock and Randy are big guys, but, not, you know, they're not giants. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, just they evolved. They they got it, boy. They got it, man. Undertaker, too. You knew he had it from day one. You know, I got to manage him just very briefly in Memphis. You can Google Mean Mark versus Bill Dundee. It's on YouTube with me managing Undertaker. Okay. Which I believe. Now, this could be corrected. I'm not going to say I couldn't say this in court, but I believe it was his last match before he became Undertaker, I believe. It was the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. And I could be wrong. So, you know, everybody don't write in and say I'm an idiot. <laughs> it was his last match as pre-Undertaker. And was that the only time you got to work with, with Undertaker as a manager? Yeah. Not one night. It was a tournament. I managed him like three times that night. But the only one that's on YouTube that I'm aware of is with, with uh, Bill Dundee. Who else have you have you uh, brushed shoulders with? You know, you look fondly upon and, and think, man, I, I wish we would have gotten to do that on a big stage or this this you, you felt some magic that just never really took off. Is there, you have anything like that? Well, I guess okay, I'll tell you who, probably the Batten twins because they were great workers, identical twins, good physiques. They were short. They weren't big tall guys. Um, and at the time I was managing them in Kansas City, the WWE was more geared to the. Legion of Doom. Right, right. You know, one-man gang. You know what I mean? This day and age, if the Batten Twins were still in their 30s or mid-20s like they were then, they would probably be a main event tag team in WWE. You know, they were before their time. Uh, that's interesting. I'll have to, I, I, know, I know the name, the Batten Twins. I've definitely re- probably read about them in the, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated right. back, back at the time. But uh, yeah, maybe it's worth pulling up on YouTube. I think now all the listeners luckily seem to have an overabundance of free time right now. So what better to right. do than, than look up some classic wrestling? I, that's the best. Yeah, look up the Batten Twins. Look up Phil Hickerson. He was great. He was a big, no body as far as muscles. He was just a big... Rob Bone Redneck from Jackson, Tennessee. That son of a gun could go, man. He could go. There it is. There We've got some homework for the After the Bell listeners and myself included, because once we're done with this interview, I'm probably going to do the same sort of thing. What, what, what did you look at of all the things you've done in the business, your body of work as the American dream, Dusty Rhodes always used to put it. What are you, what are you most proud of and what do you want your uh, legacy to be in this business? You know what? I'm, I'm, what I'm most proud of, no joke is after 41 years, I'm still in the business making a living. You get a paycheck from the company I wanted to be in 
the business I've always been in and always wanted to be in, never had to do anything else unless I want to, like cutting grass. I'm doing that because it's something to do. I don't have to, you know? <laughs> I mean, if I was out of the business, I don't know what I'd do. So that's what I'm most proud of, my longevity. I was able to adapt. I had no ego. I don't care. All right, Bruno, we don't want you managing no more. Run errands. Okay. What do you want? What do you want? Hamburger? What kind? Well done. I don't care. Just give me something to do. Keep me busy. Make me a living. And, you know, just treat me with the respect that I treat everybody else. That's all I ask. As far as a championship or a big run or whatever, I just want my legacy to be, other than a couple of people I didn't like, I got along with everybody all the years in the business. That, that's that's an accomplishment in and of itself, man, to, to have that sort of longevity and still be kicking and not have a locker room full of enemies, no matter what you do. That's that's to be commended and celebrated. Well, I appreciate that, you know. And like I said, I wanted to keep this interview so positive. That's why I didn't mention anybody I didn't like or anybody that was a jerk. You know what? Why even, why even uh, glorify them by saying, this guy was no good again? Let them be no good on their own. Why give them publicity? Amen. Oh, and hey, the good, the good news is when I have you back on in the future, we can talk about all the people you didn't like. It'll give us some content in the future. Love <laughs> I'd love Let's do that at night when I'm drinking beer. I can. There we go. It. That sounds good. Maybe maybe we won't record that one. That'll just be me and Bruno sitting at the bar. <laughs> hey, you're that to come on to my house. You're always welcome here in North Mississippi, man. Right on. Well, hey, Bruno, I want to thank you for your time today and for everything you do backstage on behalf of all the guys, man. I, I know we say it to you in person, but I want the world to know we appreciate you and, and the whole team that keeps us able to do what we do. And I respect the hell out of your love for this business. And hey, with any luck, man, maybe I'll be giving you a run for your 40 years. Hey, I hope so, brother. And I hope I get to see you in person sooner rather than later. Hopefully this pandemic will run its course sooner. We can be back to business as usual. I hope so. And I owe you a couple beers after this. I'll take it. And I sort of say something to everybody in the world, be safe. God bless you. I have my prayers. I want everybody to be healthy, happy, get back to work, get back out of the hospital, out of the doctor. Let's all move forward. And you know what? Let's hope this is over with soon. And God bless you and everybody else. What an awesome chat with one of the nicest guys in the world, in the business, my good friend, Bruno. Always a pleasure to just talk shop. I wish I was always in this good of a mood, just talking about wrestling. If I could bottle that and sell it, I would. Or maybe I should just hoard it all for myself. Uh, but before I leave you, I'm going to drop a little bonus zen your way, as I tend to do each and every week. I've been studying stoicism lately online. Uh, I'm not really sure how I stumbled upon it, but it's pretty awesome and potentially useful. This came from Viktor Frankl. F-R-A-N-K-L, should you so desire to search for more of his wisdom. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. There's some Zen for you. I am full of it. Thanks one more time to Harvey Whippleman for joining us this week. Uh, follow at After the Bell on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Send us your thoughts using the hashtag After the Bell. I say this each and every week, but if you're an Apple podcast user and you haven't graciously left me a five-star review, please do it. It helps spread the word to some people who may somehow not know about ATB just yet. If you're using an Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never, ever miss an episode because then you're behind and other people will be smarter than you. And you don't want that, do you? Oh, if you want to do something that's not necessarily smart, you can follow me at WWE Graves, and I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell.
G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.